prophecies that we had in the Old Testament that pointed to the fact that you were coming. That the wonderful counselor, the Prince of Peace, the Almighty God would come and live among us. He would make his home among people so that we could identify with God and so that God ultimately could make a way for our relationship with him to be made right through Jesus Christ. Thank you. Now, Father, in the next few moments as we open your word, I pray that we would see Jesus and only Jesus. I pray that it would be your thoughts and your words that touch our heart, not mine. I pray that we would be directed by your Holy Spirit to the person of Jesus Christ and that our lives would be made different because of understanding of it better who you are. Thank you for the hope that's found in knowing you. In your name we pray, amen. If you've been with us for the last number of weeks, you know that we have been in back in the whole story. And uh, this morning I'm going to be talking about great is your faithfulness or great is God's faithfulness. And we're going to be looking this morning in the wonderful, exciting book of Lamentations. Yeah, if you read the book of Lamentations getting ready for this morning, as Curtis came when he said, what are you going to talk about? Because Lamentations looks a little dreadful. Let me read just to get you going, just to get you excited this morning about Lamentations. Lamentations chapter 1, I'm going to just read verses 1 and 2. You ready? Here we go. Now she sits alone, the city once crowded with people. She who was great among the nations has become like a widow. The princes among the provinces have been put to forced labor. She weeps bitterly during the night with tears on her cheeks. There is no one to offer her comfort, not one from all her lovers. All her friends have betrayed her. They have become her enemies. Merry Christmas. Right? When you start reading that and you're thinking, Tim, this is the week before Christmas. How can this be something that we should look at? This is speaking, by the way, of the city of Jerusalem. It is believed that Jeremiah wrote this book. It's pretty, pretty much 100% sure that he did. He was the author of this book, witnessed the fall and the destruction of the city of Jerusalem. The devastation was huge. And if you keep reading down through those verses, you will see why this city is called a desolate city. Why the city as a whole, the whole part of the city was weeping together. And after, the, after observing the results of the takeover by the Babylonians, he watched as children begged for food on the street. He watched as the young men and the young women were killed by the sword. He watched usually compassionate mothers end up using their own children for food what was once an important city, what, what was once a lively, bustling place was now a pile of rubble and destruction. Merry Christmas. But now I need you to remember something about this. That unlike a few weeks ago when we talked about Job, who had been a, an upright and righteous man, who had walked with God, who had lived for God, and Satan came before God and, and he was asking about Job and, and God looked at, at Satan and he said, why don't you test my servant Job and see if 
what is going on in his heart and his life and what he claims to be true about me. Let's see if it's really true. And, and so Satan tested Job and God allowed it. What happened in Job's life is completely different than what happens in the nation of Israel and the city of Jerusalem. You see, God had said that this was going to happen and he had warned the nation of Israel and the city of Jerusalem in particular over and over and over again and said, look, if you don't turn from what you're doing, if you don't repent, if you don't make your life right, he, he sent prophets to them to tell them, look, you're sinning against God. The choices that you're making, they, they, they are repulsive to me change your tune. And if you don't do it, destruction will come. Job, it was a test. The city of Jerusalem, they had been warned. They didn't have to go down this road, but they chose to. If you look at Lamentations chapter 2, verse 17, it says this, the Lord has done what he planned. He has, he has accomplished his decree which he ordained in days of old. He has demolished without compassion, letting the enemy gloat over you and exalting the horn of your adversaries. In other words, God saying, look, I told you that this was coming. I sent warning after warning. I even made covenants with you. And if you remember from all of our other studies together, as we walk through the whole story, you remember this, that God kept saying to his people, look, if you will live for me, if you will yield, if you will say yes to me, then I will bless you. And not only you, I'll bless all the nations that surround you. If you say yes to me, I will lift you up and I will make you something that everybody else is looking at and saying, we want to be like that. But if you don't, if you choose to go your own way, if you choose to live in sin, then there is a consequence for that. And I will draw you back with discipline. Just a side note on that, folks, that I need you to think about. We're not in the Old Testament time. We're actually in something called the church age or the grace age where we have the presence of the Holy Spirit living within the church and within each of us as believers, and he draws us back to himself. But I need you to understand something, that our country is an awful light, a lot like the nation of Israel. And God has given us the blessing of his word in multiple ways. You can read it, you can listen to it, you can watch it. There are people talking about it every day, all day long, on all kinds of sources. And God says, I'll use you as a nation to bless the nations of the world if you will humble yourself and you will listen to me and you will keep my decrees, and we haven't as a nation. We've decided that we're smarter, we're better than God, we know better, and we've gone our own way, and we've done our own things, and we've made choices within our country to pull God out of the center of our country, and actually, we've more than pushed him to the fringes, and the decisions that we make now in our country have absolutely nothing to do with God and the way that God decrees that life should be. And folks, God will not let that go for a long time. He doesn't do that. And yes, we are not in the Old Testament, but at the same time, God's name will not be put through the mud. 
there is a price to pay. And we will pay it as a nation. And Jeremiah feels that in the nation that he's in. And the same way that we now feel that the truth of Scripture is afloat in humanism and whatever we decide. If you remember from a few weeks ago, we said that that the definition of humanism or secular humanism is that man is the measure. Man is the measuring stick. And God says, no, I'm the measuring stick, not man. And we live in a day and age where all the decisions that are being made around us have to do with what makes us feel good or makes us look good or what makes us happy. The nation of Israel did the same thing and God said, I will judge, and he did. And the prophet Jeremiah who was there and saw it and sat in the middle of it felt the pain of the result of sin in his own life. And as he sat and he wrote this, this lamentation, which is a, it's a, it's a song of mourning. That's what it is. For where they find themselves. And, and a city that once was planted on the truth of Jehovah, God Almighty, is now in ruin. And the prophet sits and he feels the pain personally of the hurt. Let me read it for you from Lamentations chapter 3. Just follow along with these verses. I'm the man who has seen affliction under the rod of God's wrath. He has driven me away and forced me to walk in darkness instead of light. Yes, he repeatedly turned his hand against me all day long. He has worn away my flesh and skin. Think of that. Think of the pain that's here. He has broken my bones. He has laid siege against me, encircling me with bitterness and hardship. He has made me dwell in darkness like those who have been dead for ages. He has walled me in so I cannot get out. He has weighed me down with chains. Even when I cry out and I plead for help, he blocks out my prayer. You ever felt like that? Even when I cry out to God, it's like there's a ceiling and it can't go anywhere. He has walled my ways with blocks of stone. He has made my paths crooked. Listen to this. He is a bear waiting in ambush, a lion in hiding. He has forced me forced off my way and tore me to pieces. He left me desolate. He strung his bow and he set me as the target for his arrow. He pierced my kidneys with shafts from his quiver. I am the laughingstock to all my people, mocked by their songs all day long. Do you catch it? Do you see it? Jeremiah is painting a picture and he says, look, yes, that was the result of Jerusalem's sin. Yes, I was one of the guys who went to them and said, don't do this. Don't turn from God. And yet my heart longs for them to know the result of giving themselves back to God, of yielding themselves to God. I feel the hurt and the pain and the hopelessness of of the result of their sin. Let's stop for a minute because that was then and that was Jeremiah. And when I read that, you go, yeah, that was was those people. but, But what about today? 
What about now? In the same way that Jeremiah's heart longed and hurt because of the result of sin, the same way our hearts feel that same pain. Take a minute and listen to someone today who's struggling with some of those same things, but from a different angle. I had a dream, and when I woke, it felt like I needed one of the great men and women of faith from old to help me to understand it. The same way Joseph helped Pharaoh perceive that there would be seven good years of harvest before seven years of famine. But there were no rivers and no cows. It was just me standing in the middle of a desert. My fingers blistered, my skin hot. My lips cracked and I was thirstier than I can ever remember. I wanted to cry, but it was so dry. I just didn't have any tears. And then I heard a few words whispered on the wind. The hair on my arms stood up. I woke up right then, the words so real, so startling. Sitting up in bed, I think I know how Elijah felt, standing on the mountain when he heard the voice of God after the earthquake and the fire and the wind, the words stuck with me as if, as if they were written on the bedroom wallpaper. I had wrapping paper and tape and scissors still on the floor from a late night gift wrapping session. <clears throat> what were the words whispered in the dream that so startled me? Drink deeply from the river of my delights. Drink deeply? From where? There was no water in sight. And just as I found myself wishing I could make a time machine and go back to the Egyptian empire as it was about to rise and seek out Joseph in his prison cell to see if he could help me to understand it, the answer came just like that. The same way the wind blew and startled me in my dream. God's spirit. The desert. It's where we're at, where we've come from, what we're walking through. It was a tough year, a dry one. I felt depleted, more depleted than I'd like to admit, more so than I probably ever have in my life. I've been, we've been through a desert, haven't we? There has been more loneliness, uncertainty, confusion, anger and fear than some of us have ever faced, and it all hit us at once. Some of us were prepared with sunscreen and weeks worth of supplies. Some of us didn't even have a hat. And I know it feels strange to be talking about deserts as our minds are turning towards Christmas, but you know what feels stranger? Preparing for the Christmas season. For many of us, it's going to be difficult, lonely, dry. I mean, can you even smell gravy over Zoom? This is the time that we need our families the most, but for so many, we can't hug our loved ones. We're not going to see a new baby. We're not going to sing Christmas carols together at the top of our lungs. We can't open gifts together. We're not going to laugh. Wrapping gifts last night, I was just going through the same motions, pulling out the same decorations, planning the same traditions, but with none of the excitement. 
hasn't been joyful. It's been dry, like my burnt lips in the dream, like the scorched and sandy ground that I was standing on. And yet, the still small voice, drink deeply. Where and from what? His spirit, my friends, God's sweet and refreshing spirit. If I've learned anything in this difficult season, it's that we can never have enough. Enough toilet paper hidden in the linen closet, enough canned goods on the pantry shelf. There aren't enough batteries in the world to get you out of this darkness. And even though I may be in a dry and weary land, there is a river that never runs dry. I had to be reminded, perhaps even warned, that from this river, I must drink deeply, find God's spirit, and then do it all over again. Today, I choose joy. I am reminded that in a desert, God refreshes me. In the darkness, his light shines. It doesn't matter how we feel. It's with his great mercy that we can have hope. So we must go to him, run to him, drink deeply, and know true joy. In the same way that we today have struggled with the loneliness, the isolation, the desert feelings. Those are the same feelings that Jeremiah was describing. His heart was feeling in the middle of Jerusalem's pain. And in the middle of all that, in the middle of that difficulty, Jeremiah, Jeremiah writes words of hope. In the middle of our difficulty, in the middle of our isolation and our loneliness, we don't have to stay there. There are words of hope. There are words that bring us back to a place of remembering that God is so much more than what we face. And here are the words that Jeremiah writes in the middle of this hopeless and destroyed situation that he was in. They're found in Lamentations chapter 23, starting at verse 21. Yet I call this to mind, and therefore I have hope. He stops, he switches gears, he goes from in mourning because of the destruction, and he goes, I'm remembering back to something that is great. I call this to mind, believer, this morning, I want you to do something. I want you to remember when you first started your relationship with Jesus. I want you to remember what it was like to feel forgiven and renewed and refreshed. Jeremiah says, I call this to mind and therefore I have hope. Remember, go back to the truths that you learned on those first days of your relationship with God. In my mind as I was reading this, when I went back, you know where I went? I went to, Jesus loves me. This I know. Right? I, like Mike was saying last week, I started church probably two days after I was born. 
And those little songs that were poured into my heart and my spirit reminded me of the simple truth that I'm a child of God and he loves me. And Jeremiah says, yet I remember. I go back and I remember. The next verse he says is this, because of the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish for his mercies never end. I remember that Jesus loves me. I go back and I grab a hold of that hope that I have in him. And because of God's faithful love, we won't perish. This isn't the end of the story. What is his faithful love? Well, I'm glad you asked me. His faithful love is this, that God loved those he created so much that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While I was in the middle of my sin and my rebellion against God, Jesus Christ came to this earth and loved me, the unlovable. And God in human form, completely God yet completely man, chose to restore the relationship that I broke. He didn't break it. This wasn't God's problem, it was mine. And God chose to restore and fix a problem that I created. And he gives what I do not deserve. Forgiveness. Freedom. Hope. And ultimately, new life. Because of the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish. For his mercies never end. Next verse, they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Every day you know that God will show up. It's his promise. And here's the thing about God's promise. He's never lied and he's not starting today. Every day, his mercies are new every morning. The good, no, the great news is all of this is not just a one-time event. It's all the time. It's not just that he saved me from my sin one time. Jay, he's saving me every day. He reaches down and he grabs a hold of me and he rescues me and he does it for you too every day. His mercies fit the day that we are in. God has sized up our need and he provides the mercy that fits the need. It's amazing. I say, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will put my hope in him. And you go, what does that mean? The Lord is my portion. What it means is this, the Lord is my inheritance. In other words, he offers me life. He offers me a gift that is mine because I am in his family. An inheritance gives, is given to someone who is in the family, who belongs, who's been named as part of the family. And once it's signed, you can't take it back. It doesn't matter what happens. And that's what God says. He says, the Lord is my inheritance. In other words, as a child of God, I get Jesus. I get the spirit of God living in me, giving me hope, giving me life. The Lord is my portion. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the person who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Did you catch those three words in that? The Lord is good to those who wait 
to those who seek, to those who quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. Folks, we struggle with this. I don't know about you. I'm not really good at waiting, are you? Are you in a hurry? I ordered a package for Pam. I'm the good husband. I tried to remember. And we taught, actually, we taught, she knows about it, so I'm not giving anything away. It's a pair of boots, just so you know. She already knows, so. They were in Saco. They went from Saco to Connecticut, to Massachusetts, to Norway, Maine, to Connecticut. I think they're in Lewiston now. It's crazy. I'm waiting for Christmas is coming, people. We don't wait well, do we? And God says this. He says, look, for those who are willing to wait and to seek me, those who are willing to put everything else aside and let go of all the stuff that grabs their attention, I'll grant them mercy. I'll grant them grace. Because great is my faithfulness to my people. I'll give you hope that you never dreamed you could have. And I love in this verse, he doesn't just leave it at that. He says, not only that, but I will give you rest. Not because the pain and the sorrow are gone, but in the middle of it, we know that God has control of it. And we can rest. We can wait. Why? Because he promised salvation. And here's the truth that we can, we can rest in. That through thousands of years of humanity, God has continuously and consistently kept his word. Great is his faithfulness. He has never stopped. He's the hope of Christmas. The promise of scripture is and has been he who started a work in you. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, he'll complete it. All the things of God will work together for the good of those who are called to Christ Jesus and who are living according to his purpose. He has sealed us until the day of his redemption. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Great is his faithfulness. He is still the hope of Christmas. imagine Jeremiah sitting writing the book of Lamentations and the hopelessness looking at a city that's been destroyed a people that's fallen apart and have no hope and in the middle of that he says but I remember God I remember your mercies are new every morning. Your love never ends. Great is your faithfulness. God, in the middle of all that we face, is still the hope. Believer, turn to him. 
Don't be scattered. Don't run. Don't lose hope. God is still God. It's still the hope of Christmas. If you don't have a relationship this morning and you're sitting there saying, I have no hope, there's nothing that brings me hope. You need to run to Christ. That's why he came. He knew everything we would face. He knew the hopelessness of a sin-cursed, sin-filled world. And he came to restore what you and I broke. That's our relationship with God, our Father. Run to him. He says, I will turn no one away who comes to me. I'll accept all who yield and cast themselves at my feet and admit their need of a Savior. Father, would you grant us the courage as believers to remember the love of Jesus Christ for us and the hope that comes in knowing you and being still and waiting on you. Great is your faithfulness. Thank you. And Father, for those who may be watching or here who don't have a relationship with you yet, would you help them to understand and experience for the first time the forgiveness that comes from knowing Jesus, from yielding ourselves, from admitting my sin problem that I have and yielding and saying, I need a savior. I need someone to pay for the sin that I can't pay for. I can't do it anymore. God, would you pay for that? And you have through Jesus Christ. Bring them to a saving understanding and relationship with you today. Thanks. Thanks for the ministry of your Holy Spirit, the hope that we have in you. Thank you that you are and will always be the hope of Christmas. In your name we pray. Amen. Have a great Christmas, folks. coming